John's first epistle, see what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called children of God. And so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Beloved, we are God's children now. And what we will be has not yet appeared, but we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, because we shall see him as he is. Amen. Dear fellow Christians, we hear it from others, and we do the same thing ourselves, linguistic overkill. We exaggerate to make a point. It's unlikely, just to give you a couple examples, it's unlikely that anyone really reads something that I've written to them and is R-O-T-L-F-L-O-L, rolling on the floor laughing out loud, and yet apparently people do it all the time because I see it less than it used to be, but still there are apparently people rolling on the floor laughing. We get the point, right? They found what you wrote to be somewhat amusing. In the same way, I'm not sure anymore what awesome means. Awesome. Last time I heard it was from a McDonald's employee that got my order right. Awesome. I thought it was supposed to be reserved for things like space shuttle launches and politicians telling the truth. And I guess it's now just getting a Egg McMuffin in a bag correctly. And again, we all get it. People use dramatic expressions to make a point. But that inevitably degrades the word or phrase when you actually use it correctly, accurately. All of which brings us to the first word in the sermon title this morning, deadline. And you think about it, and it's a very dramatic word, isn't it? Deadline. You have a paper due at school, and there is a deadline. And if you do not get that paper in by the deadline, then what? <laughs> I see, but that degrades or diminishes the original meaning of. Some of you remember, may remember or shared with you that we learned, Sandy and I learned this when years ago we visited the infamous prisoner of war, civil war, prisoner of war camp in Andersonville. And they had a reconstructed fort there, or prison, and around 17 feet exactly from the wall there was a railing. And that was the origin of the term deadline. If you'd go beyond that railing, the guards would shoot you without hesitation, without question. Truly a deadline. You'd go beyond it, and you were dead. But now, again, with so, many, so much of this linguistic overkill, the actual thing just is diminished by the triviality associated with it. Our everything negotiable society doesn't seem to put much stock, therefore, in deadlines anymore. 
does it? If you think about it, a deadline, some, some line that's established, just to them doesn't mean much anymore. It's more of a guideline, really? And if you don't make the deadline, no big deal. You, you'll get an extension, it won't matter. Close is good enough. In fact, the concept has become so vague now that when somebody actually enforces a deadline, people are indignant. While missing deadlines in our secular pursuits is an annoyance usually, at worst, in things spiritual, it's anything but. So our goal is to clear away the idea of linguistic overkill or exaggeration and look at God's word and recognize there that God has established deadlines. The text that will guide us in this is found in Matthew's Gospel, the 24th chapter, beginning there with the 37th verse. For as were the days of Noah, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. For as in those days before the flood they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, until the day when Noah entered the ark, and they were unaware until the flood came and swept them all away. So will be the coming of the Son of Man. Then two men will be in the field, one will be taken and one left. Two women will be grinding at the mill, one will be taken and one left. Therefore stay awake, for you do not know on what day your Lord is coming. But know this, that if the master of the house had known in what part of the night the thief was coming, he would have stayed awake and would not have let his house be broken into. Therefore you also must be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. This is God's word, reminding ourselves who gave us these words, whose words they are, and preparing our hearts to hear and learn from them. So we pray, sanctify us by your truth, O Lord. Your word is truth. Amen. Undoubtedly, you recognize the first deadline identified in our text. It was God telling the world through Noah that he would destroy that world, except for those who were on the ark. He told Noah to build an ark. Now understand, because it will teach us something, it will instruct us, understand what went on here. For more than a hundred years, Noah worked on this ark. I almost fell into the how many, how many of each kind of animal did Moses put in the ark? For a hundred years, Noah, Noah and his sons worked on the ark. And understand the setting. This was in a place where Bible scholars believe there was no body of water capable of floating this boat. In fact, it seems, from what we read in God's Word, that there wasn't even any such thing as rain yet. You remember in Genesis chapter 2, 
when no bush of the field was yet in the land, and no small plant of the field had yet sprung up, for the Lord had not caused it to rain on the land, and there was no man to work the ground, a mist was going up from the land, and was watering the whole face of the ground. So, in a land where there probably was no body of water, and in a place where it did not yet rain, Noah and his sons labored away on the ark for more than 100 years. Our text describes the setting. For as in those days before the flood, they were eating and drinking and marrying and giving in marriage until the day when Noah entered the ark, and they were unaware until the floods came and swept them all away. You can understand society's skepticism, can't you? I mean, it's easy for us to look back and say, well, why didn't they repent? Why they should have known? Look at it from their perspective. They must have just looked at Noah as though he were nuts. He's building this massive ship. And for decade after decade after decade, Nothing happened. Nothing changed. What are you doing? And Noah just kept building. There was a deadline established by God. And yet the skepticism of mankind was, from all we read, universal. Not going to happen. You're nuts. This is crazy. Stop it. What are you doing? Okay, what? The, the earth is going to be destroyed by a flood? What does that even mean? Does this sound familiar at all? It should. Because there's this same deadline looming in front of the world today. We'll get to that in a moment. So life went on for these people. Noah and his sons undoubtedly had to suffer under tremendous ridicule until the deadline arrived. And do you get how there's, there's nothing inconsequential or insignificant about this deadline because it was a true deadline. Scholars... Mathematicians tell us that the Earth's population at the time of the flood was very likely, could have been, but is very likely in excess of a billion people. A billion people. Even if you take half of that or a third of that, think of that. And God had established a deadline and said, I am going to destroy and on that day, when that deadline arrived, he sealed Noah and his family in the ark. Everyone else died. Without mercy, without compassion, without appeal. Everyone who ridiculed Noah would have given anything to be on the other side of the wall of that ark. God's deadline had arrived. That's how we want to think of deadline in this context. 
not as, oh, it's sort of a guide, really. It's sort of, sort of, just general, maybe, kind of. Everyone, except for Noah and his family, died. So why bring this up in the confines of our Christian fellowship here in a church? Why talk about this even when we all agree, when we all believe in Jesus Christ, and we believe his second deadline is also true, that he is going to return to earth to judge the living and the dead? Or our personal deadlines, when we're called from this veil of tears, when our time of grace is ended, we will stand before him in judgment. Why do we bring this up in this context? Because you and I are also threatened. We're also pressured. In fact, it wouldn't surprise me if some of the, some of the exact same ridicules, the exact same reasons why we should give up and give in, if they're the same today as they were in Noah's day. It's been 2,000 years. 2,000 years. Where is this return of Jesus? What are you doing? When are you going to finally wake up and understand it's not going to happen? Jesus got that, didn't he? That's why he addressed it in our text. For as in those days, the days of Noah, so it will be the coming of the Son of Man. For as in those days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, until the day when Noah entered the ark, and they were unaware until the flood came and swept them all away, so it will be, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. An absolute dead line. You and I then will hear the same ridicule, in its way the same persecution, trying to belittle you, to have you appeal to reason wouldn't have been done already if he was really coming? What evidence do you have that this isn't all just made up? Beat your old Adam into submission with God's word here. Use this, because it's the reason God gave it to us, this deadline that was given and came to be in Noah's day despite all of the evidence to the contrary, despite the ridicule, the persecution, the absolute rejection by society, it happened. So also now, Jesus is your ark. Jesus is that thing that saves you. And God has, has made this, this dividing line in Jesus, that is, believing in God's Son, that he came to earth and paid for my sin debt, that leaves you inside the ark. That leaves you safe. Outside are those who reject Christ as Savior, in whatever form, deciding they themselves must earn their own forgiveness or help earn their own forgiveness or denying his very existence doesn't matter. 
they're outside. And when that day of judgment comes, or when an individual's time of grace is suddenly called to an end, and he must stand before his God in judgment, they will give absolutely, they would give absolutely everything that they own for what you have right now. Because it will be as nothing. As those people that were, no doubt many of them, outside the ark looking when the waters came, would have given anything to be on the inside of that ark. So when God's other deadline arrives, it will be the same thing. And you've already been given passage. The Holy Spirit has worked in your heart, faith in Jesus Christ, so that you trust that you don't have to earn forgiveness. Jesus did. And he, he gifted it to you, took all your sin and said, here, you have my righteousness through faith in me. Believing that I did what I said I did, you have full, complete forgiveness for all your sins. You are on the inside of the ark. What about that second word in our sermon title, lifeline? There's another term, it's another term that has historic significance. It's traced back to the 1700s. And the history we're told is when a sailor fell off of a ship for whatever reason, they would throw him a line which came to be known as a lifeline. What is that lifeline for us? You should know, you've been thrown it already, it's the word of God that word of God is our lifeline. It's a thing that rescued us when we were adrift and helpless. So now think of that first word in connection with the second word, but think of that first word deadline a little differently. A line of dead walking inexorably some of them quite confidently, to eternal destruction. And again, that's why it's important not to, not to consider this linguistic overkill, hyperbole, exaggeration, deadline. It's exactly that, eternal deadline. And look at the countless horde walking in that numbed, sleep profession procession into hell. What did they need? What could we possibly give to them to rescue them? Those in that deadline need that same lifeline that you and I were thrown. And we have it in never-ending supply. It never runs out. And it doesn't have to be something ornate. It can be the simplest rope. It can be something as simple as Jesus died for your sins. He paid the penalty. You don't have to. Trust Jesus. Because God's word says, he that believes and is baptized shall be saved. Something as simple as quoting 
a passage, the simplest of lifelines, can be that thing that rescued them. Look at the world with different eyes. Look at the world of unbelief, not as those that you want conquered or crushed, not as those you want to defeat in verbal battle so that you get the upper hand, ha! But as those souls that are outside the ark and more than water's coming, eternal destruction in hell is coming. Nothing that you ever do, nothing that any of us ever does in this life will be greater than that calling. Nothing will last past Judgment Day than those souls who were rescued. As you and I were rescued when somebody shared that word with us. Is this another law? Of course not. But God soften our hearts recognizing what we've been given, what has been forgiven to us, how we now live, exist in the safety of Jesus Christ, and throw your neighbor a line. Amen.